Welcome to our Thursday Shanti Deva session. We are dealing with chapter 9, which is very hard. <laughs> Even preparing for it is hard, so I have to take resort to the text, commentaries, make sure they are with me. Okay, so let's sit quietly for a few minutes to calm our body and mind. Let's now cultivate the visualization field, merit field. With Buddha Shakyamuni in the center, surrounded by his disciples through the ages to the present time. reflecting back to their lives, particularly that of the Buddha, how within that one single lifetime he gave us a test of what he had gone through to achieve full awakening, what he had gone through through Eons, the actual journey began with the cultivation of great compassion. The actual journey on the path to the full awakening. And he stayed through that for many eons, had difficulties, challenges, but he stayed put, pushed through, eventually became the light of the whole world. Even to this day, his teachings touch hearts, minds of millions, and bring peace, joy, and hope for lasting happiness. Many have treaded the path through the ages and have realized a similar state of awakening. Think of the composite of the path 
that Buddha followed. Compassion, loving kindness, wisdom, skillfulness, patience, of course concentration, and of course very strong, robust morality basis. which all led to the twofold qualities of degrees of abandonment and that of realizations, stages of them. Reflecting like this, see we could generate a strong sense of confidence in the path. And that could be that we could also realize the similar achievements. Feeling hopeful, think of mother sentient beings surrounding us, all in human forms, yet undergoing their own respective limitations, predicaments, sufferings, yet remember all of them, including ourselves, have Buddha nature within us, that afflictions, no matter how entrenched they may look, they are only adventitious, temporary, but temporary not in the sense that it will just go on its own, but rather through antidotes they can they can be abandoned. Gradually leading way to their respective paths and degrees of security. Being hopeful of that will inspire, will even more inspire to follow the path so that one could realize the full awakening and thus join the files of the Buddhas in being fully effective, capable, caring, loving, to address the sufferings of the sentient beings in all myriad ways. So with this, in the background of our mind, let's say the prayers together. We could say refuge and for immeasurables. Let's once again renew the bodhicitta motivation. Realizing the aim of bodhicitta involves going through the paths stages of path, which are marked by attainment of respective degrees of abandonment, abandonment of the obscurations, both reflective and cognitive, and generating the respective realizations that culminates progressively to full awakening. Of the two 
the degrees of abandonment and the respective realizations, the respective antidotal realizations come first and they are followed by the abandonments. Thus, to attain the respective degrees of attainment, abandonments, one has to make effort in generating the respective realizations. They, in turn, depend on the three trainings. The actual realization takes the form of a wisdom, fully developed, well-developed wisdom of direct insight into emptiness, of course supported by its respective method aspect components. But the main component of that path is wisdom that comes to the forefront in tackling the respective afflictions and their latencies. To generate such a strong wisdom, to be able to actually tackle, tackle the respective obscurations, it has to be grounded on very strong concentration practice. That in turn is possible only one has very robust, vibrant, pure moral morality. Of these three trainings, the first two involve, mainly involve, cultivating them in a sitting sessions with the wisdom. Of course, part of it would have to be well developed on sitting sessions, but it had to be first received at the intelligence level through study, reflecting and meditating. So towards that end, we are going to listen to Shantideva's chapter on wisdom. which has a direct bearing on our aspiration of bodhicitta in realizing its aims. May this be the motivation through this session and beyond. Okay, so we are on the last session, we finished stanza 16, I think. So, is it six? Oh yeah, right, stanza 16. So we have just started the refuting repetition of the Chitra-matrins in particular. So the first uh, stanza, which is stanza 15, kind of uh, contains 
kind of rebuttal, rebuttal to the Chita Madrin's opposition to the Prasangika Madhamika's position. And the rebuttal in the last two lines kind of is in the same same style, same same format. We call it turning turning the reasonings back to the Chita Madrins. So in the in the wake of that uh, what came up was the Chita Madrin's position that things do not exist externally. And things if they do not exist externally then what sees them, the subjective component that sees them, that's all there is because what they see is not externally there and what they, and, and, and in making the case for that object to be existent, it can be done, uh, yeah, it cannot be done by, by the way that the Pratanga Madhimikas and others would consider because that is not sequential. The, the object and the subject are not sequential and they are simultaneous. Not just simultaneous, but they are kind of almost like the consciousness itself is looking, looking unto itself with no object outside of it. So that's what the last two lines read. Since according to you, if the illusion itself does not exist, externally exist. Here, illusion is used, not, here, illusion is used to represent the objects such as form, etc. Not illusion by itself. So it should be, if the illusory, illusion-like form, other objects does not externally exist, then what is being perceived? So, on, in other occasions, illusion was used as a metaphor or as an analogy. But here it is uh, used to represent all the objects that are represented, that are likened to illusion. So it should be illusory form, illusory, or illusion-like form, illusion-like, like that. So it's attacking not just the external appearance of it, but the thing itself, because it does not exist externally, yet the thing is there. If the thing is there, then it is nothing, nothing other than the subject itself. So what is being perceived? The thing is not there, separate from the seer. So in this in this stanza sixteen, the Chittamatins kind of present an alternative, not alternative, but kind of present their case very clearly. Uh, earlier, the in the previous uh, lines. Uh, the the Madhimikas are only attacking their Chittamatran's line that that things do not have external existence. If they do not have external existence, then what is there to be perceived? So the Chittamatrans felt the need to flesh out their position clearly. And they are saying that uh, those objects do not exist externally, but they have a different way of existing. That is not known to, that is not 
familiar to other tenant holders, including presently Madamika. So they say that, that it ex exists in a different way. And that different way is by being the aspect of the mind itself. Aspect, aspect in the, of the mind itself. It's, is the position of the Pshitamatra is that everything, everything, everything together with their perceiving of subject is a maturation of a past latency left by a previous consciousness. So they talk about different types of latencies. Uh, one is the latency of grasping itself. The other is the uh, latency of uh, throwing us into karmic uh, uh, karmic migration, karmic rebirths. And then the third is a kind of a biggest collection. They call it some, something like something like labeling. Although the Chitta Martins also speak of labeling, but not in the same tune as the Prasangya Madhamikas. Uh, they, they mainly do so by, uh, in the light of things having no external existence. So, not labeling as such, but kind of being subjectively, uh, subjectively projected. So, the, that third category of latencies is the biggest bag. And that includes uh, our our worldly conventions of relating to each other, things being related to one another in one one way or the other forms. So, in any case, they say that uh, the subjective component, subjective component, and the and its respective objects, they are simultaneous, and they are simultaneous by way of being. Uh, but by way of being uh, simultaneously maturated uh, from that latency, and that they kind of recede back into that latency. So in that respect, it's the aspect aspect more in the sense of uh, aspect more in the sense of kind of a simultaneous uh, simultaneous dim dimension of the mind. Uh, rather than as something, some kind of a offshoot or something external to it, but rather something as a, mm, yeah, something as a dimension of it. Usually the term used is the, the, the substance of the consciousness itself. So here, substance of the consciousness may convey some misunderstanding. It may convey that the consciousness comes first and its substance kind of gives way to the object, but that is not the case. So maybe when we say it's the subject, the substance of the subject, the substance of the shepa, substance of the subjective consciousness, it could lead, it could mean, or it could point to the the prior consciousness that has that has uh, laid the latency. Uh, Though I'm not so sure, but doesn't seem to fit well with. Uh, oh yeah, you, you, oh one could say uh, 
one could say that it is the substance of the consciousness simultaneous to it, in the sense that it is part of the consciousness and not separate from it. So in that respect. So in, in any way, that's the response. So then the, the uh, what do you call, uh, the rebuttal from the person being Madhamika is, well, when mind itself is like an illusion, lacking external, because not just objects, but the mind itself is also considered samsam, right? Then what is being seen by what? So there's hardly any difference between the seer and the seen, and uh, particularly uh, if they are of the same same substance, there's hardly any way of saying that it sees the other objects because it is an extension of itself. So itself itself is part of, itself is uh, partly the object, not not itself being the, the object we were as such. So the such kind of a relationship between the object and the subject can be uh, difficult to maintain. So that's in relation to the object and subject, right? But then the question can also lead to the mind itself being illusion-like, lacking external object. And what is being seen by what here seems to uh, point to, or seems to push the Chitramatins to say that there is an apperception, uh, as, as uh, there is an apperception. With relation to the subject, subjective mind itself, there is an apperception. There is a self-cognition aspect that, that sees it and that validates it. So earlier, the person came out because almost saying that uh, this claim of uh, consciousness being simultaneous with this object, yet at the same time seeing, and that's the kind of a relationship between subject and object, cannot be maintained. Uh, because the very question of the consciousness itself, subjective consciousness itself, uh, is uh, is tr- problematic. To which the present king Madhamikas, the, the Chitta Matrins, uh, present this this notion of apperception, saying that there is an apperception uh, that uh, comes with the. Uh, subjective consciousness, and that affirms the validity of that consciousness. So to, to this, the, we move to stanza 17, the rejoinder, the rebuttal from, from uh, this Pasanganga Madhamikas. So to this, the, the Chittamadhyayana say that, yes, uh, consciousness, consciousness are of two kinds. One self-cognizing, the other, other, other cognizing. So they, and then they say that it is here, the self-cognizing uh, consciousness that cognizes the consciousness, uh, seeing the object, and thus this consciousness can be, uh, are validated and affirmed. 
So from the Chittamatin's point of view, consciousnesses are of two kinds. One is uh, outside-oriented, the other is inside-oriented. The other, the outside-oriented are the ones that we associate with seeing objects, whereas the uh, inner, inside uh, or in, inward-oriented uh, consciousness are the ones that only see consciousness. And that, that's what is affirming this consciousness. Uh, so that's, uh, that's the response. So the response is not reflected in the scripture, in the, in the lines. Not the, 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 the Chittamatrin's, uh, explanation of the two kinds of consciousness. These are not included in it. They are kind of only implied here. To which the response comes in stanza 17. Uh, Prasangika Madhimikas, they say that, mm, To that, the response from the Prasangika Madhimika comes in two forms. One is uh, citing scriptural authority. They attack the Chittamatrin's claim of self-cognition. The other uh, using reasonings. So the first one, the stanza 17, is quoting, citing uh, scriptural uh, authority against the Chittamatrin's claim. The guardian of the world, that is the Buddha, in fact, said, mind cannot see mind, just as the edge of a sword cannot cut itself. So it is with the mind. So that goes directly to the Chittamatrin's uh, response earlier, which is implied here, right? So here it says, mind cannot see mind. And this quotation is uh, cited from uh, Crown Jewel, Crown Jewel uh, Sutra, if, uh, if my translation of it is right. Tukna Rinchen. Tuk is crown, Rinchen is jewel. So Crown Jewel Sutra. So there it says of, it, is, it speaks of uh, what is quoted here. Mind cannot see mind. And it even goes into giving the examples, saying just as a sword, cannot cut itself, right? Just as a sword cannot cut itself, cut itself in the sense of the same edge, kind of uh, the same edge uh, kind of used to cut the, uh, cut the sword itself. So just as swords cannot do that, uh, likewise um, consciousness cannot see consciousness. So here, consciousness cannot see consciousness, cannot be taken literally. Of course, consciousness sees consciousness. Mind cannot see. Mind can see mind. Just as one's mind can see others' mind. And likewise, omniscience can see just about everything, not just about everything, including minds, etc. So mind seeing mind is not a problem. But here, mind cannot see mind is the way mind is presented, or rather the way self-cognition is presented in the Chitramatrins, that is being refuted. And that particular quote is in exact uh, opposition to the Chitramatrins' claim. So, uh, uh, saying mind, seeing mind, 
in the exact way that the Chitamatan is present, where the mind itself sees it. It's almost like mind has two parts, one other outward, inward oriented, the other inward oriented. They are considered to be one entity, yet at the same time their objects are very different in terms of the inward oriented consciousness or the oriented part of the consciousness. All it sees is just itself. All, all it sees is the consciousness and it which is itself. So it's seeing itself. Whereas the outward oriented uh, part of the consciousness is what is directed outside and it sees forms and others. So that, so seeing the form is not being refuted, but seeing the mind itself is being refuted here by citing this uh, quotation from the Crown Jewel uh, Sutra. Because there you cannot speak in the way that the Prisamatins are presenting a perception. There's no such thing, there's no way by which one could make the uh, distinction between seer and the seen. It's speaking of the same consciousness itself. Yet when they speak of seer and the seen, that the perception is seeing itself, there is no such, there's no possibility of such kind of action of seeing and seeing mm, that could be, uh, uh, what do you call, associated there. Because that is just the one same, one consciousness. And that would be almost claiming same as a thought can cut itself. So then, yeah, I think there is, I'm referring to this text I'm holding is Yasabche's commentary. And, uh, but at the same time, I'm looking at, uh, Topten Chodak's commentary. Yeah, so he says that in general, mind can see mind. There is no way you can make any, uh, any opposition or objection to that. But in the way that the uh, upholders or the advocates of uh, perception, uh, in the way they, uh, they uh, posit a perception, where it is Zinam Yangarwa, where it is just one consciousness for which you speak from the aspects of seer and the seen. And that, uh, and there, there is no such way you could, uh, it doesn't have any room for such a position to be, uh, applied there of seer and the seen because it is just one consciousness. And that there is not the slightest difference between the two. If one could turn the consciousness around, it would be saying, one could say that the one that is seeing the object, it is seeing itself. It's almost like that. Although they say the one that sees the object doesn't see itself, but there is an aspect of it that sees itself, but the, but the distinction between the two is um, none. 
So it's almost like the one looking at the conscious object itself is seeing itself. So the very position of presenting these uh, two types of consciousness, one outward-oriented and the one inward-oriented, also doesn't seem to stand well. But in any case, the relationship between the the consciousness and the consciousness seeing itself, it is just the same consciousness, and thus there cannot be such a position of seer in the scene. And that kind of a mind-seeing mind is being refuted, and that's what is being addressed in that particular sutra. Then we move on to stanza 18. Suppose you respond, but it is just like the way a butter lamp flame perfectly illuminates its own characteristics. Well, the f- yeah, so that's uh, Chetamatrin's uh, response, still uh, of upholding the notion of apperception uh, by saying that it is just like the way a butter lamp flame perfectly illuminates its own characteristics. They claim that the butter lamp uh, illuminates itself. So they use uh, different examples. This is the first example. Mamepe, the example of the lamp, example of the butter lamp. Just as butter lamp uh, can illuminate both itself and other things, likewise they say, there can be consciousnesses that can there can be consciousnesses that sees oneself and there can be consciousnesses that sees other to which the prasangika madhimikas respond saying uh, your example doesn't hold water here your example uh, that uh, doesn't sound right so the response is in stanza 18 line 3rd and 4th well, the flame of a better butter lamp is not being illuminated by itself, since darkness does not obscure itself. So, in, so for the Chittamatins, they say that there is such thing as self-cognition or self-perception, uh, because the, there is, in reality, the example of a butter lamp, uh, which illuminates itself and also illuminates others. Likewise, consciousness can have these two aspects of being outside, outward, inward-oriented, seeing other objects, and inward-oriented, seeing itself. So to this, the response was, the claim that the, that the butter lamp illuminates itself is not true. One, because butter lamp doesn't need to be illuminated. Another is, even if it needs to be eliminated, it cannot be done. So, why does butter lamp doesn't need to be eliminated? Because in, in, in the text itself, butter lamp, now here we are talking of butter lamp, the illuminated, the, what do you call, hmm, the one with the flame. Yeah, not just unburned butter lamp, but the b- b- burning butter lamp. 
so, because that's what they are saying. Otherwise, when it is not burned, it is not illuminating itself. You can keep it in the dark and it will not illuminate itself. But when it is burned, when it is uh, going, that's when we could talk of who, who is, what is illuminating what. And their claim is that when the butter lamp is uh, on, uh, then it is illuminating itself and also illuminating other objects. So to this, they give this example of the worldly, actual world, and the Pasangang Mademikas say, no, even in that case, butter lamp is not what is illuminating itself. One, because it cannot, it doesn't need to be illuminated. Another, it cannot be illuminated. The reason why it doesn't need to be eliminated is because butter lamp, or rather the flamed butter lamp, has never been obscured by darkness. It is never obscured by darkness. So there's no need for it to be eliminated. A burning butter lamp is always eliminated because burning butter lamp itself is something that has never been, it is never surrounded by uh, darkness, and thus there is no need for burning butter lamp to be eliminated. It is not, not the example, not the case like that of a vase or a pot put in a dark room where you need to have something else to eliminate it and see it. That's not the case with the butter lamp burning the burning butter lamp, butter lamp that is on, because it is itself uh, in the nature of having already dispelled the darkness. In the scriptures we speak of Mungungi Pumba, part in a dark room. So it's using this example saying it's not like a part in a dark room that needs to be, which, uh, which has a darkness to be cleared of. The butter lamp is not like that. The other reason that it cannot be eliminated is if if butter lamp, a burning butter lamp, needs to be eliminated, then right now we are not talking of any any philosophy, right? Rather, of the the actual uh, worldly thing. Mm. Then. The, the, the person came out and say that if illuminated butter lamp needs to be, or burning butter lamp needs to be illuminated, then you could also claim that darkness, illumin, uh, yeah, if, if it needs to be illuminated, and that it itself, uh, that itself is illuminating it, then you would have to say that the darkness also, uh, shrouds the darkness. But darkness doesn't need to be shrouded. It, it is not shrouded by darkness. And likewise, it, you cannot claim butter lamp, lighted butter lamp to needing illumination. Because darkness doesn't shroud darkness. Because if it does, then then darkness should not be seen 
like likewise, just as when we have a pot that is covered by a, that is covered by something that hides it, then we cannot see it. Likewise, if you see uh, darkness, shrouds of darkness, then having been shrouded by darkness, darkness should not be seen, should not be seeable in the first place. So that means all the time, no darkness can be ever seen, because it would always be uh, shrouded by darkness, covering it, and because of it, it, not, it, it cannot be ever seen. So that's the first example. So there we saw this saying that the that the lighted butter lamp doesn't need to be illuminated, and nor can it be, nor it is possible to be illuminated, because if it needs, if it if it is possible to be illuminated, even being lighted on then one could say that even the darkness uh, could be shrouding darkness. Then it moves on to the second example. The Chittamatra is present second example. So the second example is in stanza... Yeah, in stanza 19. So we have seen in the stanza 18, the last two lines was the rebuttal from the Prasangik Matamikas, where I say, well, the flame of a lamp is not being illuminated by itself, since darkness does not obscure darkness. How far-fetched do you see this reasoning against uh, lamp being illuminated uh, looks like? How far-fetched this example of darkness looks like? I think there is a relationship between darkness and uh, light, or the darkness and light. So maybe from that uh, proximity, uh, this has been presented here. Otherwise, uh, one could present in other examples also. So the second example presented by the Prasangikamata, the Chittamatrins in support of their position of apperception is in the stanza 19. Suppose you reply, for an intrinsic blue, as in lapis lazuli, to be blue, it does not depend on something else for its color, like the way a crystal depends on other conditions for its blue. So it's, so it's making this, uh, making this case uh, uh, both for uh, both for uh, the out outward in oriented consciousness and the inward oriented consciousness, but more particularly that of the inward uh, oriented consciousness, where it uh, presents this position of apperception. So the example is: suppose you have two types of two types of things. One, two types of things that look blue. One that is lapis lazuli. And the other is a kind of a uh, light-colored crystal placed on some kind of a mat, which is blue, and thus it reflects the blue color on it, on its surface. So it makes this. So it's it, they're kind of always coming back to an actual world example, 
to make the case uh, of apperception. And usually that's the case uh, in the philosophical tenets. Uh, they kind of uh, start from the empirical uh, objects and then uh, in a way eventually with the development of the uh, path eventually one would also uh, fruition in an empirical experience. So here the uh, example is quite clear. They say, so in, in the uh, stanza itself, it says, Yangda Selvar, Yangda Selvar, Sheshin Amarmi Selvar, Chaminde. Okay, Sheshin Ngopo Ngoyi La Shien La Tepa. Here in the stanza, uh, you see the mention of intrinsic blue. That is kind of uh, tying back to their, to the basic Chitamatrin as well as general realist position that anything that exists has to exist inherently. Anything that is uh, has to be inherently so. So in the case of the glass, uh, the, well, the, neut the uh, light glass, neutral glass, reflecting, uh, reflecting the blue, uh, its intrinsic nature is light and neutral. Uh, uh, whereas that of the lapis lazuli is seen to be blue. And that's in, in doing with their basic premise of not making distinction between existence and inherent existence. It's kind of uh, collating the two, lumping the two together. So they make this, uh, they keep this example of lapis lazuli which they claim to be intrinsic blue, intrinsic, intrinsic blue, and, uh, and that of the general crystal, uh, white crystal or light crystal, uh, which has no intrinsic separate color of its own, uh, but depends on other conditions for reflecting different, different colors. So again, here the Prasangik Madhimikas are uh, not questioning that the lapis lazuli is blue, then not questioning that the lapis lazuli, blueness of the lapis lazuli and that of the crystal are different. Right? They are not questioning that. But in terms of the claim that the lapis lazuli is intrinsically blue, whereas the other one is not. So intrinsically blue in the sense uh, that by its very nature is blue without having to depend on other uh, other conditions whereas the the crystal depends on other conditions for its blueness and for them that is uh, equal to seeing not for them but prasangika madhimikas it's equal to seeing as inherently so and likewise the chitra martins do not make that distinction so that's why this coming back to the basic uh, ultimate nature uh, aspect, uh, ultimate nature dimension of the attack is uh, uh, kind of uh, uh, well in place. So the response is, for an intrinsic blue as in lapis lazuli to be blue, it does not depend on something else for its color, like the way a crystal depends on other conditions for its blue. So again, they 
come back to an actual world example to make the case for the uh, apperception. By the way, the position of the apperception, the advocacy of the apperception, from a Prasangi make a point of view, from that perspective, is seen as a uh, edification of the claim of things being inherently existent. It's true, it's, it's, it's because they do not make a distinction between existence and inherent existence. And on that basis, they come up with certain positions out of which some are stark example of the crystallization of that position of things must have inherent existence. So that's what I'm calling edification of the self-grasping or inherent existence grasping. So a perception is seen to be like that. Not every claim, not every claim of a philosophical school kind of qualifies like that, but uh, every once in a while, certain unique positions of the lower tenet holders from the, when looked at from the Prasangika Mathemika point of view, they would only, only appear as an edification of the, uh, the, uh, validation of inherent existence. So when, when, when one moves from one tenet to school to the other, those are the aspects that are left behind, shed, and the others, not everything is left behind, uh, nor does it need to be, but positions such as these are then shed, and then one moves on. So, so the response to that is in the last two lines, right? Oh yeah, okay, that's not yet the response. Chitamatins are still saying. So like this, we see some things that depend on something else and some that do not. Right? So, so for the object to be seen, it depends on the consciousness, uh, outward oriented consciousness to see it, uh, to see it. Uh, but for uh, consciousness, uh, it doesn't need something else uh, to see it. Rather, it has its own inbuilt uh, a perception uh, to affirm it. So they once again insist on their position by uh, relying on these uh, these uh, examples. So then the response is in stanza 20. Shinga Shinga. 20 or 21. Yeah. Stanza 20 here it is allotted only two lines. So anyway, the stanza 20 here with only two lines, it reflects the response from the Prasangika Madhamikas. It says that blue of the lapis lazuli is not self-created other than produce, being produced from its causes as blue. So, So it's attacking the Prasangi Madhimik, uh, the Chitramatrin's defense of their position, but also doing so more sharply uh, on the uh, ultimate uh, nature aspect, attacking the claim of inherent existence. Where it's saying that blue is not what is self-created, other than being produced from causes as blue. So, so that kind of opens up to 
a wider perspective of the Parasangika Madhamikas in how they posit things having no inherent existence of their own whatsoever in any given situation, but rather having to be merely contingent on causes and conditions. Uh, and uh, likewise, it's the case here for Lapis Lazuli, even for its blueness, which it seems to be born with. Uh, even that is not an exception to being contingent on its own causes and conditions, which uh, may or may not be blue at all. And likewise, it could be retraced, it could be, yeah, retraced further up, and one could find causes and conditions that are not blue at all. And then even something that gives rise to the blueness, when you look inside, there will be nothing to be pinpointed, right? Nothing to be uh, fixated on to say that this is the this is the one responsible for the blueness, because they, they, those could be taken apart and nothing could be found. So uh, that's how they posit, posit this uh, position of uh, emptiness, of utter mere designation with no intrinsic existence on the base, or on the on the base of uh, dependent origination, rather unfailing, uh, infallible dependent origination. So the two kind of uh, sits very well, kind of accommodates very well. And when we are training in the understanding of emptiness, very often we face this, that when we speak of emptiness, we seem to have some kind of understanding, it seems to take away the conventionality of things. But when we go to the conventionality of things, it seems to kind of uh, not allow any room for uh, emptiness as such. So those are indications of how we have still some work to do. Otherwise, for some who are trained in this, then even eventually they could be trained in such a way that by seeing things being dependent itself would be enough with no other reasonings needed to right away generate, right away bring oneself to their emptiness aspect. And to such extent, this this uh, harmony uh, can be seen or uh, experienced which the harmony is there in the reality, but we begin to see, we tend to see them totally apart. Even when we are trained to some extent, even we have difficulty in kind of seeing the two together. Rather, we would have to always alternate the two. And the alternating them even comes at the cost of almost negating or cancelling the other out. But that is not... Uh, what it should be in an ideal understanding of the emptiness, the relationship between emptiness and uh, dependent origination. Okay, so stanza in the in the one of the commentaries, the reasoning for saying that the the blueness of the lapis lazuli is not self-created. There's no need of any sophisticated reasonings for it. Just the mere fact that they are compounded phenomena is enough uh, to establish that there's no intrinsic blueness uh, in the lapis lazuli special to the uh, crystal uh, that accounts for its being blue. 
but rather its blueness is as dependent on causes and conditions, causes and conditions other than itself. So the next, yeah, the next stanza, 21 and 22, uh, takes us to another level of the objection from the Prasangika Matamikas. Earlier, uh, they were rejecting those, those presented as examples to be examples to validate, uh, to defend the position of a perception. Uh, but now they are looking, but now they are looking at the examples themselves, not whether or not they are examples which they have already dealt with, but now they are looking at the examples themselves and kind of commenting on the way they work. And the examples presented there. Where is it? Oh, let me check. Yeah, this one is a little difficult. If you say to the Chittamatans, if you say, butter lamp doesn't illuminate itself, But it's being an illuminator. But it's being an illuminator. Uh, is understood by a consciousness which is totally substantially different uh, from the uh, illumination illuminator from from the lamp. So there, there. So. So. Prasangika Madhimikas are saying that they're kind of uh, doubling down on their uh, ob- objection, saying that uh, since the imam, the, the lamp illuminating itself has been rejected, has been has been disproven, but you still claim that uh, that the that there is another consciousness. Which is substantially different from the uh, lamp itself, which kind of uh, claims that the lamp uh, that the lamp uh, illuminates itself. So, kind of uh, relying on a consciousness, kind of a what do you call um, spontaneous consciousness that affirm, that kind of has such a uh, such such an understanding such an impression as a backup for saying mm, that it, 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 it may illuminate itself. So, kind of, the, the person came out because I'm kind of uh, presenting, it's almost like volunteering present yet another defense line from the Prasthamatran's point of view uh, by saying that if you still back your claim of the of the lamp illuminating itself on the ground that a totally substantially different consciousness uh, kind of has this impression of the uh, lamp illuminating itself and thus bring the consciousness some other consciousness looking at it as a backup, 
as a support for that. Then certain person came out and saying, even that is uh, not going to uh, serve your purpose because because you wouldn't find any supporting consciousness for you wouldn't find any supporting consciousness uh, that is substantially different from the perception itself. That says that the consciousness being seen by the apperception sees itself. So you wouldn't find any such any such uh, support uh, support system for the claim of apperception. Whereas even in the example also, just having a substantially different consciousness affirming that uh, the the the, uh, the the lamp uh, illuminates itself, uh, maybe there in terms of a wrong impression of what the lamp is capable of doing, uh, but in in actuality, for the uh, for the consciousness, you wouldn't find any such. Uh, any such uh, support system. Besides that, in saying, in in, in relying on a uh, substantially different consciousness for <laughs> for support system in in sustaining their claims, then both the both the parties know what would be the consequence of such a defense line, and the consequence would be that there would be no. It would be. It would lead to infinite regression of needing a sub- totally different substantial consciousness to affirm uh, the validity of something. Yeah. So then, the the follow-up uh, objection uh, from the person getting Madhamika is in stanza twenty-two. Since mind is never been seen by anyone, this is not uh, anyone. Maybe a little difficult, uh, although in translation it does come to that, or it could be anything or anyone or anything. Uh, but what is being rejected here is uh, the, the 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 possibility of self the self cognition, a perception. Since this has been proven to be not the case, so then if you keep on uh, building your claim that the self-luminous or self-luminous or self-perception, self-cognition is that, is not that, it does this and does not do this, kind of, uh, it's like uh, making it, it like speaking of things of which the base is totally not there. So it's saying that the if the base self perception has been rejected and refuted, then speaking of its being luminous, knowing, etc., etc., uh, in terms of its qualities, is totally uh, groundless. It's almost like speaking of these different features and qualities of a barren woman's uh, child, where the barren woman's child is not there, then speaking of its uh, 
features, qualities, etc., would be totally uh, baseless. So here in this objection, you can see how Prasangik Mahatmika presents this objection of how what the Chitramatrins are presenting as a perception is not sustained uh, by either uh, cannot be sustained by the Chitramatrins themselves nor can be affirmed by anybody else. So in that case there is translation into anyone seems to be okay. Or it could be uh, alluded to uh, either seen, neither seen by their perception itself, nor by any other consciousness. And therefore such a consciousness that you claim to be existing uh, cannot be existing because it wouldn't be uh, an object of a a brahmana. So the commenters are kind of... uh, looks at this saying, if this is a valid uh, reasoning against the Siddhartha then how about turning it around and putting it against the Prasangika Madhamikas themselves? Now here it is the commentator uh, saying it. Because it could be turned around and put, 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 put in this way. Uh, consciousnesses uh, are not existing, uh, they are not self-existing, and uh, yeah, the consciousnesses are not self-creating, that is being accepted by the Prasangika Madhamikas, and that uh, consciousnesses, for them to be validated, has to depend necessarily on a totally substantial consciousness, uh, is something that uh, the, the realists uh, also accept. So that way, if you turn that reasoning against Prasangika Madhamikas, it seems like the Prasangika Madhamikas will also be equally at fault. So here the distinction is made between the two position holders, Sitamatrin and the Prasangika Madhamikas, saying, in the case of the In the case of the uh, Chittamatrins, yeah, in the case of the Chittamatrins, the illumination, either you apply it to the example or to the uh, the the actual actual position. In the case of the uh, Chittamatrins, they hold that it has to be either or. Uh, things have to be either self-illuminated or other other illuminated. Uh, or a self consciousness has to be either self illuminating, self perceiving, or others perceiving. So they kind of uh, accept this perversion that uh, if anything is illuminated, it has to be either of the two, and cannot be exclusive of them. That's that's the position of the Pratyangamatra Matras, and that's how they befall the. They, they, they are at fault at such an objection. Whereas in the case of the Prasangika Madhamikas, they do not say that the, they do not say that the, the lamp, say in the case of the lamp example, 
or in the case of consciousness. In the case of the lamb, they do, the Prasangika Madhyamika say that they, they, they do not, uh, they say that when you ex- do not examine them ultimately, then you can say that the, the illuminate, the, 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 uh, uh, the butter lamp is illuminated or, ilum- yeah, it, it is illuminated. It is, it is illumined, illumined. But when you examine who or what illuminates it, then they do not, uh, claim this, this provision that it has to be either or. It has to be either eliminated by self or other, or eliminated by other. They do not claim that. Because of that, they do not uh, bear the fault. So this is quite telling. This is quite telling of the position of the Prasangika Matamikas in saying that uh, the things that we accept in conventional world, however we accept, as, even even as basic as something being book or something being cup, that we totally uh, verify and it's totally functionable and operationable, and that 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 we can totally uh, have uh, transactions going on the basis of a book being book, book and a cup being cup and whatnot, and that's so by way by virtue of uh, not being scrutinized in the ultimate sense. If one scrutinizes it in the ultimate sense, let alone other claims, but even the claim that a book is a book also crumbles down. Uh, so let let alone claiming that an illumination should either be self-illuminated or other illuminated, or uh, consciousness perceiving is self-perceiving or other perceiving, let alone those distinctions. Uh, but even as simple as something uh, as validly conventionally accepted as a book or whatnot, uh, even they uh, will suffer, even they will crumble in the face of such an investigation. So that's why the reasoning being put by the Prasangika Madhamikas, even though it look, it may look like it could be turned against them and perfectly fit, fit with them, but their basic claim is that in the ultimate nature, in the ultimate analysis, nothing can be fixated on. There can be, there is nothing in the three, three principal aspects we have this expression. Uh, if, I don't know what our translation says, the, the object of fixation, the object of fixation is completely, uh, completely destroyed, or like the object of fixation is completely ruled out, completely annihilated. So in the process, through the ultimate analysis, there's nothing that you can land on, land on. Whereas in the conventional sense, once you zoom out and let go of that analysis from an ultimate perspective, then you can function. You can have things that function the way you do, and you can go about one's business. But, but, uh, while having them around, if we zoom in and, and investigate in the ultimate sense, uh, nothing uh, would ever result in landing on anything. So that's what is being presented here. So it's a very uh, strong and important uh, point that the commentator uh, cares to bring up by volunteering to kind of look deeper into 
how this objection from the Prasangika Madhamikas uh, could or could not be turned around, turned back to themselves. So I think uh, we will leave it here. And the next one is rejecting the reasoning uh, to establish self-cognition. So, so far, uh, the self-cognition mind is uh, rejected uh, in terms of the examples that Chitta Matarins present uh, in establishing it. And then from this stanza onward, it will uh, look into the reasonings that it presents in establishing self-cognizant mind. So I think uh, we will stop here. And I'm not sure I'm smart enough to even hear an answer if this is correct, but what I'm puzzling over is that this thing of apperception is also held in the autonomy school by the autonomy by the autonomous Yogacharya Madhyamikas. Yeah, yeah. Right? So I'm just kind of puzzling as we're explaining it here. Do they hold it in exactly the same way as the Chittamatrans? It's like if they're still Madhyamikas, they would have to do a whole other set of explaining to try to, ex- to, try to hold the apperception. Well, they hold the same position. Uh-huh. They hold the same position and also hold the same Chittamatran uh, view of how things exist. Uh, and, and then they add another layer saying things do not truly exist. But where the difference is, how they can still maintain, they make a distinction between true existence and inherent existence. So they still maintain things inherently exist, but not truly. And the, and the general umbrella of Madhyamika is uh, based on whether they claim true existence or not. Not inherent existence against true existence or not. Because you remember the realist. The realists. So we can divide the entire four schools of Tibetan, uh, the entire four schools of uh, Buddhist tenet schools as presented in the Tibetan system into two, realist and non-realists. Now within the non-realist, you have the Sautantrika 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 Madhyamika and Prasangika Madhyamika. So the, 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 the difference between the two is both of them say things do not exist truly. But Prasangika Madhyamikas take it further. There's not only true existence as Sautantrika Madhyamikas understand, but even inherent existence. So there's no such thing as any objectivity. Whereas these Sautantrika Madhyamikas maintain some degree of objectivity. They have not yet let go of the entirety of the objectivity. And their position, the, the, in the case of the Yogacara Sautantrika Madhyamika, their position about the, the, the mind only, it's the same. It's the same uh, as the mind only, uh, except they bring in uh, the, the, that it doesn't exist truly, but uh, inherently it does. So the whole claim of the Chittamatrins in things having, having some kind of objectivity is uh, kind of, uh, is kind of maintained, retained on the basis that things still have inherent existence. Though not true existence, and thus the, the Sautantrika Yogacharyas are not realist, 
but nonetheless, they still can maintain uh, the Chitamatrin position, uh, even including their own position, special in, in a position of things lacking uh, true existence, on the basis that uh, without having to let go of total objectivity, on the basis that they still hold on to inherent existence. So, to make sure I understand, then it requires the subtlety of that object of negation being inherent existence to actually refute all their positions about apperception. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's because, that's because from the Pasangika Madhamika point of view, there's no difference between true existence and inherent existence. They do not, uh, they do not buy into the Sautantrika Madhamika's position of making these two distinctions. They do not buy into, but they ex- understand what the Sautantrika Madhamikas are doing. And Tsongkhapa has commented that what the Sautantrika Madhamikas are presenting in terms of their, uh, in terms of their, uh, ultimate truth is helpful. Helpful as a springboard to a kind of a springboard to come to the understanding of Prasangya Madhamikas. But not that it is a, uh, uh, valid. No, not, 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 not that it's not valid. It is, it is valid. It is valid, uh, not from the point of view of its retaining inherent existence, but from the point of view of rejecting true existence. But for the Prasangik Madhimikas, they do not make this distinction. That's why they are perfectly okay in being seen, uh, the attack kind of being always, uh, put from the, ex- the inherent existence perspective. Yes. That is a question. Keshala, um, just a comment. Because I actually, when I look at the example of the Bartholomew, I was thinking that this is actually a lousy example, the Prasangika actually race. But because when come from chemistry, right, when you give a fight with a battle lamp, then only will lead up. And then I was thinking of some of the chemical can be self-ignite. And then when I look into really zoom in, it is not self-ignite mm-hmm. in neat condition. For example, magnesium need to be kept in the oil. But when you should contact with the oxygen, it will ignite by itself, which is condition dependent. Mm-hmm. And then the same magnesium, I was looking at the Chenrezi, the standard glass is made from rare metal, which is part of them is magnesium, which gives them the color as well. So everything is dependent. Mm-hmm. And magnesium also present in some of our body as one of the minerals. And condition change, the behavior change. It cannot be actually seen as the inherent existence, which is very powerful. Oh, that's wonderful. Yeah, I was wondering about how the modern science would look at this, yeah, how it would either support or uh, reject it. But yeah, it's good that you brought it up. Yeah, in terms of in terms of basic basic chemistry that I know, when we have atom or something like that, and when you break that down into electrons, protons, then you don't find atom, and then those are even broken down in further, and then you hardly see any difference between one element and other element. And then if you break even further down, you cannot land on anything. When we talk about the butter lamp, um, some translations say a candle flame. 
Pardon? Some translations say a candle flame. I see. But we're really, we're talking about the flame, not yeah. the actual lamp. We're yes, talking yes. about the flame. Yes, yes. Does not. Yes. Yeah. So we're talking about the flame and questioning whether the flame, because the, once the flame is there, we see the flame. So we kind of see, is the flame made uh, see, seeable by itself or something, right? So trying to kind of find, trying to kind of find some kind of objective, uh, what do you call, uh, basis for anything that we describe or explain. And that's where, that's where the objections are pointing at. Of course, things are contingent and they can be uh, explained as dependent on causes and conditions coming together. Just as you were speaking of magnesium, how the combinations make the difference, not in in itself, at any given time. Uh, so, yeah. So, so being able, not being able to apprehend that, uh, grabs that fully, uh, because it's it's quite um, it's quite shocking also to find that there's nothing there. Uh, but when we, and the, the reason for such shock is because we're not able to uh, accommodate dependent origination with emptiness. If we could accommodate the two in such a way that they reinforce each other, they kind of complement each other, they can never ever be separate from each other, then I think it seems like there could be a different taste of emptiness in the light of things being, in the light of things being dependently originated without having to deny it, but rather even affirm it, is because of their being dependent, they lack inherent existence. And because they are lacking inherent existence, if at all they have to exist, they have to exist independently. So, yeah, so we are talking of the flame, and then talking of whether it objectively, in an in an un expressed uh, but implied way, whether it is uh, objectively accountable to something for its illumination, self, others, whereas for the Prasangya Madhavikas, that's not even required. Okay, we will stop here.